Well, good morning. Let me add uh, my special greetings to those uh, moms here today. There, there are moments, there are times when I try to understand a little bit more the world of uh, a mom, the world of women, not, not trying to understand women. There's a classic joke about that. But just try to, for a, for a sermon on Mother's Day, for a talk at Mops, because of a movie uh, that I've just watched, because Sherry and I are in a one of those men are from Mars, women are from Venus conversations where we're trying to explain our perspective to each other and marveling that we were in the same room and talking about the same thing. I, I'll, I'll try to understand what it's like uh, to be a woman and to see the world through those eyes. And I almost always come away thinking it's much harder. Uh, some of this interaction I think of, we, we, my wife has two cats they uh, collectively, reluctantly allow me to live in their house. And she got them when they were kittens and they were feral. Uh, they're, they're mostly domesticated now, but they're still a little wild. And there's a they're brother and sister, and, and uh, the dynamics between them are pretty classic. So uh, he is bigger and stronger and faster and clueless. And she's very self-aware, sort of takes care of him. If that, you let them both in at the same time and he's tracking mud and, you know, he eats her food and he can't figure out the cat flap for six months into the garage, then he doesn't get that it goes both ways, you know. So it's, he's a challenge. And uh, usually when I'm marveling about that and sort of relaying that, like, did you see what he did just there? Like, I mean, he's clueless. I, I sort of get the impression from Sherry and from the, the, the female cat that they're like, oh, really? Does he remind you of any other clueless males you might happen to be standing next to? So um, I've tried to explain this to him repeatedly, like, dude, you are making us all look bad, right? You just got to raise your game. But the great thing about being clueless is <laughs> you're clueless. So you don't get that. And and so moms don't have that luxury, right? They're, they always have to be dialed in to who's, who's struggling, who's challenged, who's hurting, what's going on. And so that's a, that's a difficult, uh, it's just a lifetime assignment that uh, moms sign up for. And so it's hard. I am just about done with the book for the fall. So as with fence posts and broken and seven deadly sins and all those things, I'm writing a book for the fall series. This one is different in that this will not be a book for small groups to study. I'm writing a book for myself if I were not a Christ follower that I, I hope would keep me engaged and, and, uh, and prompt me to enter into a discussion with, with Christians. And uh, so I'm, I'm writing this book, and it's on the future, uh, not like biblical prophecy kind of future. It's just on the future. Where are we headed? And so the book is called Future View. The sermon series is called Future You. We're going to Daniel and look at, uh, in light of what's going on, uh, light of what's sort of trending, and I'm, I'm actually more optimistic about the future having studied it for the last year. But there's some there's some scary things out there. I carry around this quote when people ask me why I started studying the future. And uh, so Jim Collins, the management guru, good to grade, and uh, those books. Collins said that he's, he's now studying uh, organizations and people who thrive in chaos because, quote, there will be no new normal 
we're now dealing with a world that is going to be ferocious. The volatilities, the turbulence, the uncertainties of the world will, will define the second half of my life. And that was sort of what got me into this as a pastor looking ahead and saying, okay, I don't like some of these trends and what, what will need to be true of me as a person and as a pastor, what will need to be true of the church uh, if some of these trends continue? Again, some are very fun and cool, exciting, but some are a little, uh, are a little scary. And uh, so we're going to be in Daniel looking at how Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, sort of successfully navigate life in Babylon when they are taken there in exile. And they, they seem to thrive and they do a number of things. So we're going to look at, at some of the, the courage and the wisdom and the hope and some of the qualities that, that they exhibited in that. So I'm studying the future. One of the interesting things, so the book is just going to look at four big trends. What are the four global trends that have been in place for the last 50 years that are likely going to continue for the next 10 to 20 the final trend, I say, okay, looking ahead, are there any big trends just on the other side of the horizon? And, and the one that's out there uh, that I started to hear about 10 years ago but still don't hear much about is the sort of the depopulation of the planet. Uh, so, you know, for all of my life, I, I, we've sort of had the fear of the overpopulation of the planet. But for the last 100 years, birth rates have been going down. And there's the only place in the world where women are having enough children to replace the current population is, uh, is North Africa. Outside of that, it's all below the replacement rate. The population keeps going up because we keep living longer. So 1820, the average life expectancy globally was 29. So 1820, average life expectancy 29. Today it's 70. In the U.S. it's higher than that. Uh, so more and more people are on the planet because we're living longer. But there's a much smaller generations coming up. And, and demographics take a long time to play out, so you sort of bake a lot of these things into the system. And so as I've been reading about this, and like, why would this be happening? One of the things I come away with, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the things is that it's really hard to be a mom. I mean, it's a, it's an, you are signing up for lots and lots of of heartache and vulnerability and love and laughter and little kids, but long nights and being tired and all of that. It's hard. And so, um, so for all the hard work you do, 365 days a year, we give you a Hallmark card on one day. And uh, <laughs> call it even and move on from there. So, so um, I decided that we would take uh, today and... and Ask the question, what would God say to moms? Um, setting Luke aside, what would God say to moms? What would God say to all of us? But in particular, what would God say to moms? And I'm aware that moms get lots of advice in magazines and TV talk shows. And I'm aware that, that, uh, that, that there's a lot of moms who are uh, struggling. Sherry tells me that lots and lots of uh, of women are often feeling lonely and, and exhausted and, and frustrated and a little depressed. And so I'm aware that that's the situation. The, the faith story that we just looked at is tragically all too common with Sonia, who ends up as a single mom, raising kids and holding down a job and all the challenges and stresses that go with that. And so um, I'm aware that there's just a lot of people out there who have a hard job. 
And what would God say to you? What is God saying to you? That's what I want to ask. And uh, I, I promised 25 years ago, I promised Sherry that I would never on Mother's Day preach on Proverbs 31. Uh, I'm going to honor that promise. If you don't know Proverbs 31, it sort of describes Martha Stewart without insider trading charges. And it's, 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 not, it's, it's not something that I discovered uh, women find encouraging. It just, it's just sort of discouraging. And I'm aware that I often am a cheerleader to say, do more, love more, serve more, give more. There's, you you want to raise your game, you want to step it up. And I stand by that. But there's also another side to the story. And I want to look at that today. And so what I want to say to you, uh, moms, because I think you get this better than any uh, of the rest, uh, certainly than the clueless males would get it, is that the love God has for you is like the love you have for a newborn infant. It's, it's not, it doesn't pivot around the highly functioning, high capacity capabilities of the infant, right? It's just there, right? It's not a love that is, that is, that is drawn out because of, because of the competency. It is a love that is simply there. And so I want to say, independent of how things are going. Right? And I want to say, God loves you because you're, you know, you, you've got it all together and you're in great shape and your kids are thriving and they got into Harvard. Maybe they didn't get into college. Maybe they're not going to get through high school. Right? Maybe they're not going to call today. Maybe they're not going to be involved today. Uh, God loves you because of God's love for you. And it is unearned. And it is, it is a game changer. In Zephaniah chapter 3, We hear from God. Let me read this. Zephaniah chapter 3. He says, Do not fear. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over you. I mean, that's just clearly a picture of a mom. With a, with a little baby. God delights in you. Uh, we're told in Isaiah chapter uh, 44, excuse me, chapter 49, that God can no more forget us than a mom can forget her nursing child. In Isaiah 66, we're told that he will take comfort in us um, as a mother comforts a child. In Hosea 13, we're told that God is like a mother bear protecting her cubs. So there are multiple places in Scripture where we're told about this love that God has for us. And it's not because we've got it all dialed in. It's because of who God is. So uh, I want to direct us to Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This is a classic Psalm of David, perhaps uh, better known than any passage of Scripture outside of the Lord's Prayer. People know Psalm 23. And... um, and I just think it's a great psalm uh, for all of us. Again, I'm talking to moms, but maybe, you know, maybe you're a guy. Maybe you're, maybe you're a woman that expected to be a mom and is not. Maybe you're going through divorce or unemployment or heartache or failure or all kinds of challenges. Um, addictions and cancer and divorce, whatever is going on. I think this is a great image of God as a loving God. 
and, and this whole image of a shepherd looking after his sheep is one uh, that, that we need to dial into. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So this is a Psalm of David. David was a shepherd before he became a warrior, before he became a king. And, uh, and it's profound. What David shares here is profound. Additionally, there's a lot, there's been sort of an explosion of study on Psalm 23 in the last few years. The scholars, for reasons I'll explain in a little bit, uh, sort of lit up around a couple translation issues that, uh, that they're rethinking. And then I know of at least five books that have been written by shepherds uh, trying to explain what it's like, uh, what, what David would have been thinking about, what it's like to have sheep. So sheep figure prominently in the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, we've got them as sacrifices and the Passover lamb, and, and then we've got all this imagery about shepherds, and then we get Jesus is, is, the, is the good shepherd, and Jesus is the lamb of God, and we've got stories about the, the shepherd that goes out looking for the lost sheep. And so, so all of this is being used. Sheep are being used prominently in Scripture because of the culture in which it was written. And people would just intuitively know a bunch of things about sheep because it was their world. Most of us don't know these things. We don't know anything about sheep. So let me tell you the first thing you have to understand about sheep is you, you cannot find a more helpless creature on the planet. Okay? So they cannot, they got, they got zero offensive weapons. Okay? They can't bite you with their fangs. They can't butt you with antlers. They, you know, they can't, they can't claw you with their talons. They can't poison you. They, can, they got nothing at all. Defensively, they also have nothing. Okay? They can't run. Uh, they can't fly away. They can't sl- swim away. Basically, a, a sheep under attack curls up in a little ball and starts to bleat. And basically, that, that message is to all predators everywhere, okay, I'm helpless, and I'm, I'm here. You know, you can find me now. So a shepherd that has lost a sheep knows, I don't have much time, because everybody now knows there is this completely defenseless creature that is lying there, uh, a lamb chop, just waiting to be eaten. And so... Uh, that is, interestingly, how God describes us, right? So, so in, in the game of, you know, which animal would you be? If you were going to be an animal, which would you be? People say, oh, I'd be an eagle, or I'd be a cougar, or a leopard. Everybody picks the cool animals, the fast animals, the top of the food chart, right? No, God's on record saying we're all like sheep. We got nothing uh, going on here. We're failing on almost all fronts. Uh, I, when I was in Israel the first time, I wanted to go out and see and just sort of watch some of the shepherds because there's still there's still shepherds in the the same fields that there were a couple thousand years ago. So I had been on a on a tour for a couple days, and then the 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 tour was over, and it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and I said to the guide who's leaving. I said, okay, so is it safe for me to go on a run? Because I would like to go on a run right now. And 
He says, well, I don't know. Why are you asking? Well, I'm just wondering, is it safe for me to go on a run? He goes, well, you'd have to talk to your doctor. I can't tell you that if it's safe. <laughs> I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not asking that. I said, I'm, I'm going I'm to leave this compound here. I was staying at Bethlehem Bible College. I'm going to leave the compound, and I'm going to run on the streets. I want to go outside the city. I want to run from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. They're about two miles apart. At the time of Jesus, they would have been further apart. Both have grown uh, so they've, they've expanded out and gotten closer together. I wanted, to, I wanted the experience of going through the checkpoints that the Palestinians have to go through to leave uh, the West Bank. And I also wanted to see the shepherds and see the sheep. And so I said, I'm going to get on the roads. I'm going to run on the roads. Will I be safe? He goes, no, there are cars and trucks on the roads. You cannot run on the roads. I said, yeah, I get that. I'm not going to run on the roads. I'm not going to run in traffic. I'm going to run... I just, I want to leave this campus, and I'm wondering, if I'm out a couple miles from here, am I safe? And he says, I, I get it now. You're from Chicago. You're worried you're going to get shot. No! <laughs> you're safe here. This is the West Bank. It's not Chicago. Everything's fine. So I went for a run, and I ran a couple miles out, and I saw pockets of shepherds on these fields. And I watched them for a while. Mostly, they talk on their cell phones. That's what I decided. But they're, they're never far from the sheep, right? And, and they're moving, they often are moving the sheep to places that have uh, more grass for them to eat. They are dialed into the needs of the sheep. And, and as David, what David is describing here is something that would be uh, quite unique. So he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me besides quiet waters. The quiet waters part, uh, sheep are so easily spoofed that they will not drink water if it's running, right? If, if there's any sort of current they could, they could die of thirst, but they're not, they're spoofed of the water. So if the water is moving, they don't drink it. So the quiet waters is something a shepherd would understand. You've got to find quiet waters. But most sheep don't lay down in green pastures, right? They eat in green pastures. So this is, this is, a, this is a, a sheep that has overeaten. If it is laying down in a green pasture, they're like cows. They have the same digestive process. They eat, they've got one stomach where they... They eat grass, it goes into that stomach, it pre-digests. And then later, if they are calm and, and sort of pacified, then they will sit down and chew their cud. And they sort of go into a trance, which makes them <laughs> all the more easy. Uh, it's all the easier for a predator to pick them off, because they're, now they're not paying any attention to what's going on. But for a, a sheep to lie down in a green pasture means it is well fed. It can't eat anything else. So uh, the shepherds are right there next to the sheep, moving them along to better places to eat. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So don't, um, don't limit soul to a spiritual dimension, as if God is only concerned with our spiritual well-being. The word soul in the Old Testament sometimes is translated life. 
So he, he renews my life. He refreshes my life. And one of the great things about God is that he renews. So he restores. He redeems. He rescues. He reconciles. He doesn't fire. He doesn't say, you're done. You're out. You're disqualified. Right? He rescues. And, uh, and that imagery is common. So in, in, uh, we've got the, the story of the 99, the 100 sheep, the 99 are okay, and the one is lost. Right? And so what does the shepherd do? The shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. And when he finds the lost sheep, right, he throws a party. Right? He's so excited to find the lost sheep sheep. And that, that is, we, we get that whole, it'll be repeated then because there's these three parables in a row in Luke 15, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. And, and the, the message is the same, right? They are found by the God figure. Uh, they are found, they are redeemed, they are restored, they are reconciled. And the father, the God figure, delights, right? As much as you would expect you know, the, the lost sheep, the lost son to be excited, the emphasis is on how much delight and joy comes from God in finding them and, and in re-establishing uh, a relationship with them. And so again, I want to say, moms, uh, you know, just think about the moments when you can't find your child, right? You're in the store, you're in the restaurant, and there's a couple seconds where you're like, wait, wait, where do they go? Right? And then the great joy and relief when you go, oh, here they are. They're safe. And so this is the image that we're being given of God and us. God's love for us. It is a maternal kind of love. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Uh, so why does God make the... The, the lambs lie down in green pastures. Why does he lead them beside still waters? It says that he does it for his reputation. Now, that may not be what you were expecting. You might think, whoa, I, thought, I would have thought that he would have done it for us because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us. This seems a little bit self-serving. Except what we're being told, in essence, is that God ties our well-being to his reputation. So a shepherd would be known by the care of the sheep. A farmer is known by the, by the productivity and the, 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 the look of the farm. Right? It's a reflection of him. And so we're being told God is linking himself to us and our well-being to, uh, to his reputation. And then um, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, this is one of the places where the scholarship has sort of come to life because um, the, the, the sense is that the translation uh, of the valley of the shadow of death is perhaps not, uh, not completely accurate. Um, this is... It's a powerful descriptive, right? I mean, and this is what the King James Version of the Bible gives us. The valley of the shadow of death. Uh, that is not exactly the way the Hebrew would read. So when you're translating, you're trying to figure out 
what exactly the text means, and then how am I going to communicate that in a way that people would understand it. So sometimes a very literal or a wooden, a a word-for-word translation would say something like, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, So you go, gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Well, the NIV translates that, prepare for action, okay, which is what it means. <laughs> but you, you've got to figure out, how am I going to communicate this truth? So the King James Version was just this, it was, it was a translation out of Latin, not out of Greek. There were some political dynamics that were going on behind this. It's not the best translation that we have. The problem is, is that it, it's so descriptive. And so all of these phrases, I printed these out yesterday, all of these phrases that are a part of the American speak all come out of the King James Version of the Bible. Bite the dust, the blind leading the blind, skin of your teeth, broken heart, cast the first stone, drop in a bucket, fall from grace, forbidden fruit, go the extra mile, nothing but skin and bones, pride comes before the fall, rise and shine, see eye to eye, sign of the times, nothing new under the sun, wit's end, wolf in sheep's clothing, riding on the wall. All of these are, are, are idioms, they're, they're, they're an expression, they're a turn of a phrase that comes out of the King James translation, which is so beautiful. So the valley of the shadow of death is very descriptive, but it may not be exactly accurate. And what is being described there could include death, but what's being described there are these valleys, are these gullies that shepherds have to lead sheep through to get them to the higher grass pastures. So there's a few months of the year where the best grass is high up in the mountains. But in order to climb the mountains, the sheep have to go into these gully washes. And it's dark there. And they're scared of the dark. <laughs> so so the, the, the idea here, David writing as a shepherd, right, is saying, uh, look, even though God leads me through the valleys of the shadows of death, even though God leads me through these dark spots, that, that he's taking me through them. I don't have to fear evil. If he's telling me to step into this, I don't have to fear uh, evil because it's not my ultimate destination, right? It's a path, and he's taking me higher. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For uh, you are with me. Your rod, that's a defensive weapon. Use it against, you know, any, any predators for the sheep. It was, a, it was a weapon. Thy rod and thy staff. The staff is, is you've seen a shepherd's crook. It's, it's used to sort of reach down and pull a lamb up to get it back up onto, out of the gully, whatever. It's, it's something that would be used to care for the sheep. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which would be a big deal, right? A preparing a meal in that culture, it would take hours. It's not, you know, fast food. Um, you know, you stop by uh, Subway on the way home and got me something to eat. It's a big commitment. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, one of the books, I think the easiest book to read about Psalm 23 is still Philip Keller's A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's a, it's a good book. The purists don't like it. Because 
Keller was a shepherd in South Africa and New Zealand and in the western part of the United States. And uh, I've got a couple images here. Here's an image of what it looks like to be a shepherd in New Zealand. Okay, lots of green grass. Here's an image of what it looks like to be a shepherd in the Middle East. Okay, so it's very different and you need a different set of skills and you got to think differently about what's going on. So there are people that don't like uh, Keller's book and think that he doesn't understand as well as some others might what David would have experienced. But I think it's a, it's a great book. So, um, look, here's what I want to be sure, moms, but everybody. Here's what I want to be sure you understand uh, about what's going on. God loves you with a, with a love that comes from his heart. It's not something we earn. So when I officiated a wedding, when I'm standing almost literally right here and a couple is there and I have five minutes to say something to them. What I try to do is, is to say, okay, I just want to be sure you understand what you're signing up for because it may be different than what you think you're signing up for. Okay? So I want to be sure you understand that what you, are, what you are agreeing to is agape love which is not limited to motion, emotions. It's not I love you because you're lovable. It's not I love you because you meet my needs. It's not I love you because I think you're beautiful. It's not I love you because there's anything in it for me. It's I love you, period. There's no conditional clauses. It's not a subject elicited love. I'm not loving you because you are lovable. It's an object generated love. I'm loving you, period. I'm signing up to love you, period. I am signing up to put your needs ahead of my own, period. I am signing up um, to say, I am committed to what is best for you. It is an object generated, not a subject elicited love. That's, the, that's what Christian marriage is based on. And it is modeled after the agape love that God has for us, which is generated by God. God is love. He loves... <laughs> Not because we're lovable. So we love the infant because we love them. Not because they're smart. Not because they're cleaning up after themselves. Not because they're an interesting conversationalist. Not because they know night from day. They don't know any of that stuff, right? They're, if an adult acted like an infant, you'd scream, right? So you're not loving them because of who they are. There is a love inside of you for them. And that's how God looks at you. There is a love for you that comes from God. And it is like the love of a mother. And so, moms, everybody, we're not loved because I went to church, I had a devotion, I gave money, I did this. You know, I'm, I'm in shape, I, I, I'm on top of my to-do list. No, <laughs> that, that's not the love of God. The love of God is the love of a mother for a newborn. Let me pray for us. I want to pray a blessing on moms and all of us, but I want to pray a blessing on moms. Lord, we thank you for your love for us as a good shepherd for caring for us in spite of who we are, 
in spite of our failures and mistakes, our anger and lust and fear and pride and greed and envy. Help us learn to trust you and rest in your goodness like a sheep that can lay down in a green pasture beside still waters. Heavenly Father, we, we pause to confess that we have not appreciated all that you have done for us, nor have we appreciated all that our moms have done for us. Thank you for them. Imperfect as they are, thank you for our moms. Would you bless them? Would you help them? Help all of us, really, but especially moms. Help them understand your love for them and their value. Give them rest and comfort today. Help them find green pastures and still waters. Help them know uh, that you're their good shepherd. We ask that you would fill their hearts with grace and love and encouragement, strength, patience, wisdom, joy, as they sense your love for them. Thank you for their care and guidance. Thank you for all that we've received from our moms. The many selfless actions that go unnoticed uh, that they give to us as their children. Draw us close uh, to all our moms, would you draw them close as well? We pray. We ask that you would fill them, guide them, bless them, care for them. This is, we send them out today in Jesus' name. Amen.